10, three, two, one, action. That was a moment where I realized like, oh, so this guy is doing things differently and I have a different reaction to his films as I do to someone else's films. That's interesting to me. I want to, I want to do that. It's all about confidence. It's like if they have confidence that that movie will make money and they have confidence that I can execute it, then they're more likely to fund it. You have one chance. It's like, it's pretty crazy because I want them to do something that's the most dynamic thing I can get them to do, the biggest movement that they can possibly do, but like, we only have one take. It's pretty like mentally draining, like after an event, I just want to go home and like sit and stare at the wall because you're like talking to a new person every three minutes and being super like, hey guys. Joining me on this week's episode of Cine Chill is Cole Waliza. Cole is the master of the glam bot and he is also a filmmaker working on his own material and he's a director working on loads of commercials. He's a cool guy. Enjoy the show. I get sort of credited for it being like my own and me coming up with that idea, but I actually didn't come up with it. Uh, it was a thing that E started doing, I guess in 2015. Um, they, I don't know where they came up with it. They were doing like a 360 camera and then we're looking at other tech and came up with this idea, but it, it, it truly is a brilliant way to showcase talent on the red carpet because we've seen the over the shoulder, you know, on the step and repeat like for decades, right? And so yeah. having this like really slow-mo epic footage is like a really way to capture people's looks and talent on the red carpet. So I, I knew the producer uh, for E's red carpet show. So it's technically for E. They do a huge live from the red carpet for all the, all the big events. Um, and they have a booth up there for the Glambot. They had a director um, for the first year but wanted to try somebody new. And so I got brought in because I have an experience with dance. I have experience directing dance and I've worked with some bigger names. And so they felt that those two things uh, would be an asset in this type of environment because it's really about trying to get someone to do a, like, a, not, you know, not choreography, but like a bit of a move, a little thing. Um, and, and, you know, working with A-list talent, I don't think it necessarily like takes anything special other than just the experience of having done it. You just kind of know um, how to, not that you have to talk to like A-listers differently, but it just functions. It's just a little different. I don't know. You know, it's just like, there. it's just like the whole function of production with the idea of like, you know, they're probably coming from five other shoots and like going to another shoot. So it's like, you just have to be mindful of that and you just run things a little differently because um, their time is valuable. So just like having a bit of an experience in that, but I had that. So I think the combination of those two things um, helped. And that was in 2016 and I've been doing it ever since. What I, I love about it is it can't really be recreated. Remember when the first electronic gimbal came out and everyone was like, oh, you've got to see this film with like this guy. Um, it's like starts in a helicopter and it goes down to the ground and it's like and it was like a steady cam and everyone was freaking out about it. But then to be able to do it, it was going to cost 50 grand to get this like gimbal. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now gimbals are so, so cheap. But you're never going to get this glam bot. Like, and trust me, I've had a look. You're never going to get a budget glam bot. No, and it's interesting because because they've sort of taken off on social this past year. I've been getting a lot of inquiries about, you know, doing different events or different other award shows. But like, it, it's fairly expensive. There's a big crew that needs to support it. You need a lot of gear that costs a lot of money. And so it's not a cheap endeavor. 
So what I've seen online is a bunch of other people trying to do similar things and it just like isn't, it just kind of isn't the same, you know what I mean? Which is great because I like, it secures what I do as sort of a more of a, like an elite specialized thing. Cause basically people are like having gimbals and just trying to move them fast and shooting them at like 120 on a DSLR. And like, it's a cool effect, but it's just not the glam bot. You know what I mean? Cause we're moving like 20 feet in one second, shooting at a thousand frames a second. There's just no way you're going to get that type of dynamic movement and slow-mo with like a guy running in front of a person standing there, you know? And do you know what? It's really funny that you said people have been trying to recreate this because like one of my jobs that I'm working on at the moment, so I'm going to this conference in Spain with this client and like I wanted, I thought, do you know what I really need for this? Like some sort of slow-mo thing. And I'm like, no, I'm not even going to try and emulate what he's doing because there's a reason why these machines cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars and I've seen people like try and recreate it with like 120 frames. I see a lot of that anyway because there's various like YouTubers and what you find is when one does something very well and it becomes very popular, then you get people kind of copying them. Yeah. And it kind of gets very saturated very fast, which is what I love about what you're doing because there's just, you can't, you can't copy it because of the tech that's needed. And also it's not just the tech, it is 100% down to how it's directed as well because it's that quick and you know these videos that you put out it kind of shows that the the you know you get these people who obviously on this um on in these big events and they're being like prepared for this big event and then you've got you and if it was someone else not have the same skills as you it could be awkward and like but you make it like a super fun like almost like i want to do the clam bot type thing you know like yeah. people are waiting to do it that's the impression i get now yeah which is like so cool it's, it's it's absolutely great and yeah you're right you know it's like the other thing too is that you have one chance it's like it's pretty crazy because i want them to do something that's the most dynamic thing i can get them to do the biggest movement that they can possibly do but like we only have one take so it's like you know the big of like oh jump around and do a spin and do all this other stuff it's like the the <laughs> chance of it being out of focus or out of frame is like really high so you i think a part of the job is really being able to identify how big of a move the talent is willing and comfortable to do. And then like, what is the biggest thing we can do while still maintaining like a high probability that we're going to nail it in one take. So it's like all these little equations going on in your head as they're coming up, as I'm talking to them being nice, I'm like trying to assess the situation. It's pretty like mentally draining. Like after an event, I just want to go home and like sit and stare at the wall. Cause you're like talking to a new person every three minutes and being super like, Hey guys, like come on and do this thing. You know? So it's like, it's pretty, it's mentally draining. It's tons of fun, but like you are exhausted at the end of it. The, the, the only way I can relate to that is when I used to film weddings and I used to go to wedding shows and I had to try and convince brides to hire me. <laughs> you said your background is in dance, is in choreography as well? Um, yeah, so I, I used to dance um, and I used to do some choreography, but, you know, because of that, like when I was starting to direct, I had access to all these dancers. I was I was in the dance community. I knew a bunch of dancers. Um, and so that was a thing that I shot a lot early on in my career. And so that sort of like it, it helped uh, train that sort of aspect of my directing, um, just being around all the dancers. So. So yeah, it was like a twofold thing with with where that skill developed from. What about like narrative film? Is that something that you're looking to do, like short films or narrative films, that type of thing? Yeah, I mean the fe like a feature directing a feature has always been a goal. 
it's been the main goal really as far as filmmaking goes. So that's what I've been working on predominantly uh, in my spare time in between doing short form stuff. So I'm fortunate enough that like this short form commercial work, um, you know, pays the bills and, and provides me with a, a, a decent living. And so when I'm not on a job or prepping for a job, I'm, I'm writing and trying to develop my own stuff and trying to figure out how to get my career to that next level. What's the sort of dream project for you? Well, I mean, you know, to be honest, I'm a bit pragmatic about that for a couple reasons. I think that like, I mean, I can sit here and fantasize of like, oh, my favorite movie is this. So I want to direct that. And I think that like, if you look long term, sure, I, I, I can sort of like try to identify that. But as far as like, I, you know, for me in my position, like I know what my reel looks like. I know the type, the tone and the vibe of what my body of work is. And I know that like my first feature is going to sort of support that type of content. You know what I mean? And so like, you know, I could think like, okay, it's super, you know, bright, high key, fun, a lot of movement, a lot of dance, a lot of females, you know, like I could write like a dark crime thriller, but I feel like I'm much more suited to direct some other high school musical movie to start with. You know what I mean? And so I, I, I think that also, you know, as uh, my career would grow as far as a feature director, my taste would change as well and, and other stories would appeal to me. So I don't think I, I sort of look at it like I know I, there's a higher probability that the job I get hired for or the thing I'm able to get funded is something that speaks to my body of work already. And I think that in the future, talking about my dream job, that's going to change as I get more experience. So I don't really like it's not a waste of time, but I just use my time in other ways than like dreaming about a thing that is likely going to be different by the time I get there, you know? Yeah. Um, and so with that being said, I've been working on like this comedy film with a buddy of mine. Um, cause a lot of the stuff that I have is like laced with comedy and, and just super like bright and fun. It's not a dark comedy. Well, I guess it's, it's a little dark in some senses, but, um, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to be, like I said, pragmatic about, you know, someone wanting to give me $5 million to go make a movie. If they have, yeah. it's like, it's all about confidence. It's like, if they have confidence that that movie will make money and they have confidence that I can execute it, then they're more likely to fund it. If they have confidence that that movie will make money, but they don't have confidence in me executing it, then it's like, I'm not, I'm not getting that job, you know? So can you look back at when you first decided that you want to make movies? Was there, was there a moment that made you go, that's what I want to do? Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I've always been into movies and storytelling and, and even more specifically, like making things. I've always been into just like creating stuff, which has been a, a theme throughout my life for sure. I think as far as movies came. I mean, you know, obviously like Quentin Tarantino had a big influence on me simply because it was the, a few of the first movies that I watched that like gave me a, a real, like a, a visceral reaction to what he was doing. I mean, maybe it was all the blood and gore at the time. It was like early, early, uh, being exposed to that at a young age was obviously made, you know, I was impressionable, but what I, what I, found fascinating about him was like, he obviously had a unique style and tone and that affected like how I felt about the film. So I, 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 it was that, that was a moment where I realized like, oh, so this guy's doing things 
differently. And I have a different reaction to his films as I do to someone else's films. That's interesting to me. I want to, I want to do that. Like I didn't really understand, you know, like how the director might influence how I felt, you know, like, like in such a drastic way, I'll say, because obviously you feel a different way about different movies, but you know, it just, he had such a strong style and tone. It just got me into the idea of like how the creation affects the viewer. And that got me into the idea of like making films. Similar for me, a lot of people would go, oh, I want to see this movie because so-and-so's in it. Whereas I'd be like, I want to see this movie because this person's directed it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't care who's in it. It was, I want to see what story they want to tell next and what it's going to do. Christopher Nolan is one of those that's always, you know, he could have a film called Baked Beans Out and I'd be like, yep, I'm going to (laughs) go and see that. Definitely. (laughs) And I think Tarantino definitely falls into that. He's one of those people where... You don't care who's going to be in the film. You just want to see it because it's Tarantino mm-hmm. and you know, you you don't know what you're going to be getting, but at the same time, you know, you're going to be getting something that is different to everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe the short version of that is like, that was the first time I realized the director could be an artist. That's a, that's a better way to summarize it, right? And that's sort of what you're speaking to, too. It's like Christopher Nolan as an artist, Tarantino as an artist, like you, you're into their art, whatever they're creating. And so that was sort of a, a moment for me. Well, I, I probably didn't label that, that was at the, the time. First time I it was the first the director could be idea artist. that I got that like, oh, this Tarantino guy is like painting this picture for me to see. And, and it was a more tangible realization that they're really at the hand of everything behind the screen. So do you remember what the first Tarantino film was that you saw? I think I saw Pulp Fiction before I saw Reservoir Dogs, I think. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Because I had no interest in Reservoir Dogs when it came out because, I mean, I'm 41 now. And when that film came out, it was just, it kind of was under the radar. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw Pulp Fiction, again, it was one of those films where I was watching it. And while I was watching it, I thought, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. This just makes no sense. Uh This is utter garbage. And by the end of it, I'm like, that is the best film I've ever seen. Everything made sense. And for me, I love movies like that. I love movies that really make you think while it's on. They they sort of demand your attention. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. It's like what Nolan does where it's like he doesn't dumb down anything in his movies. It's like he's going to say the most technical stuff and it's like he's not going to dumb it down whereas other directors, they will give you so much exposition and so much dumbing down of like what's going on. Whereas, you know, Nolan, I think, makes intelligent blockbuster movies and I love that. And the same with, um, I mean, it happened to me like last week when I saw um, a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that yet? Yep, yep. So while I was watching it, I eight people walked out as well while I was watching this oh, really? movie. Yeah, and I was almost the ninth, and then about it wasn't until it finished I was like, that was brilliant. But during it, I was so tempted at times just to go, yeah, I think I'm going to walk out. I felt like it was Tarantino showing me his own movie collection. He does this nostalgic stuff quite a lot when he has like the old style titles. Mm-hmm. He did it a lot with Kill Bill, and it felt like someone saying, "Ah, oh, this is what the movies used to be like, and they're better like this." And it kind of felt like you were being lectured. But with the once a time in Hollywood, once it all came together, they like the end sequence to it, and I won't spoil it. Oh my god, I'm like, I think that could possibly be one of my favorite films of the year. So as you can probably tell from this, 
it's like, yeah, I, I hate things. And then by the end of it, I love them. Same yeah, with Fight Club. That's so interesting <laughs> that you have the propensity to flip 180 degrees inside of a film. You know, I mean, I always give things a chance and, you know, I've never walked out of a uh, Have I walked out of a movie? No, I've never walked out of a movie. I've definitely walked out. I'm trying to remember what it was. I was in the theater. It was just some dumb movie. I, it was like, wasn't a blockbuster. It wasn't anything spectacular. It was just some random movie. And we're just like, this is horrible. So we snuck out and then we snuck into another movie to like, let's just watch something else. We just went in and watched some other things, some other action movie and had fun. But I, I wish I remembered what movie that was. It was pretty bad, though. It's a real statement to walk out of a movie. And the fact eight people walked out of this movie, I'm thinking, well, they can't all be wrong, but they were. Yeah, that seems weird, especially for a Tarantino thing. Like, you know what you're signing up for. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't just some random thing that you don't know who the director is or what he does. Like, you know what Tarantino does. Why? You know, I don't know. That seems interesting. I think another part of it, because my friend who came with me, uh, he, he hated it. He said it was rubbish. And I was like, well, I, I disagree with you. But he didn't know about the the Manson part of it. Like, he didn't like know about that it was a true story. So oh, I think okay. if you don't know that knowledge, then yeah, you're going to be like, this makes no sense. I didn't really know much about it until I heard about this film. I knew about him and I knew he had some sort of a cult but I didn't know about that actress until I heard about this movie. Yeah, I, I wonder how that experience would change. I would imagine it would change drastically. Like you need to know at least some semblance of like what this film is about. I mean, it still tells the story of this guy whose career, you know, acting career is failing and he's struggling with it. And he, you know, finds a way through this, you know, due to circumstance of like maybe having a rejuvenation in his career which is still kind of like a pretty typical movie story but i wonder like the coolness is probably gone if you don't understand what this like the the social context of like what that film is really talking about you know and i definitely would like to see it again i thought brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio were absolutely amazing in it they were so good and they were so funny yeah like that end sequence was it shouldn't have been because it was horrific but it was so funny. Yeah, yeah. Like Leonardo's reaction at that part. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that you enjoyed the uh, that movie then as well. I did, I did. It was definitely like a little slower than what you're sort of typically used to as far as Tarantino goes. But like, I'm just in it for like the dialogue and the stories and how we shot it. You know what I mean? Like I was going to enjoy it no matter what. After you discovered, you know, directors are artists as well. Were there any other site? Like, did you then go on a path of like trying to find out all the filmography? Like, I know I did it for David Fincher because everything he makes now, I, I just want to see because I think he's a true you know, like you, like you say, he's an artist. There's loads of directors, but I think there's only a handful that have got that, as you say, that that Tarantino sort of artist feel to them. I think a lot of them, you just have to look at what's sort of the big movies at the moment. You know, the directors are doing the superhero movies. They kind of, well, for me, blend into one. Mm -hmm. um, as much as they're, like, they're enjoyable popcorn movies, you wouldn't say, well, they're real. I mean, obviously they are artists, but... It's not kind of on the same type of level as, you know, the people we were speaking about. Yeah, I, I agree to that. Yeah. I was going to actually mention Fincher, too. I really like Fincher. I mean, not only because of his style and tone, but, you know, he came from music videos, too. So that's always been a big thing. I was like, oh, this guy can have this really cool career by coming from, you know, music videos in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, me starting to do and work in the music video industry 
I was like, you know, obviously he's a role model for me, you know? Like, my film school was pretty much his DVDs and his commentaries on them. Oh, right. The Fight Club one is worth its weight in gold. It's amazing. Like, it's with him, Edward Norton, and Brad Pitt. And there's one where Finch is talking about talking to Ed Norton about his first film and he was sort of saying you know I'm not sure if I want to direct this movie because you know it's I'm not sure if it's me and Fincher just said do you think I wanted to do Alien 3 (laughs) and it was just like yeah makes sense it's like you need to do that first one just to like get started and you know he did Alien 3 It, it, it absolutely bombed but his career did so well after that movie well, that, because yeah. he's just and that's a prime example of why I'm being pragmatic about my first film. You know what I mean? It's like I I could be like, oh, I want to do Zodiac as my first film, but like it's more likely going to be Alien Three. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it just is, yeah. yeah. And then you can have you can use that as a jumping off point, and then once it's kind of like you're in a bit of a catch twenty two for directing features where they don't believe you can do one until you've done one, right? But you can't get one until you've done, you know, so it's like you're in a bit of a catch 22. So like whatever way you can get in um, is is the way you should do it. And that goes with like, honestly, all facets of directing. It's so dumb in that sense, but like even with beauty, like I managed to like finagle my way into directing beauty, however randomly it happened. And now I sort of like have this stamp of approval so I can go do a thing for like, Pantene or Alme or CoverGirl or whatever, you know, and that same thing applies with car commercials. It's like no one thinks you can shoot a car unless you've already shot a car, right? So, you know, it's like there's all these sort of uh, like gatekeepers and barricades, which which is understandable in the sense of like it's an investment in a business. I think people forget that all too often. Like it's an art, but Mm -hmm. it's like we're making movies as a business and people are just trying to protect their investments. It's like why would they spend $10 million on someone who's never done it or to someone who's done it five times? You're like, well, obviously someone who's done it five times. Why would I take a risk? You know? So those are just the inherent challenges of working in this industry. And I think everybody needs to generally come to terms to them. We like to think it's all art and we all, well, we are all artists. And while that is true, we're all artists that want to make a living and make money. And like work in a business. If we were just making art, we could just go make our own stuff and show it to our parents and, that would be fine. But we want to make a business. We want to earn a living. We want, you know, a, there's a commercial, like, aspect, there's a commercial to aspect to what we're doing. So you need it to be so, so because it costs so much money to make a movie. Did you go to film school? Like, what was your sort of path? Um, I did not go to film school. I, I have a degree in psychology. I have a Bachelor's of Art degree. Um, and in that, uh, as I was getting that degree, I started filmmaking. So I bought a Panasonic DVX-100A and a Mac and just started shooting just as much as I could. I made a ton of short films back then, shot a bunch of skits with my friends, shot a bunch of dance stuff back in the day. And that was really like how I got my feet wet um, in the whole thing. And literally it was just like little job after little job and like trying to kind of level up each step of the way, like starting by filming like a dance show for a hundred dollars. You know what I mean? Um, To like, oh, a friend is an artist. Well, let me direct their music video for them. Like, oh, this person knows is dancing for this artist. Let me try to shoot some stuff for them. So it was like uh, literally just like, you know, me with a camera, one man band for the first few years, um, just trying to do as much as I can and just trying to build my reel and my portfolio and just keep making and shooting things. Uh, how important is the whole social media, Instagram uh, stuff to what you're doing? Do you do that? Is it for fun or is it like trying to, is it like to grow your profile? Like, because now one of the most 
like ask questions when anyone is doing anything in this sort of um, space is how many followers you got. Yeah. Not how good are you at it, but how many followers have you got? You know, I've got 5 million followers, but I can't use a camera. Great. You're hired. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, that is just another facet of the industry that is changing uh, for better or worse. And so for me, I look at it like a job now. Social media is my new website. It's my new resume. It's my new calling card. And that's like, that's how I view it. It is, there are moments of fun, but like I plan it in my schedule to make sure I'm putting out content on time, on schedule, and it's like on brand, it's curated and designed. So like, it's an intentful thing. In 2017, I sort of like, you know, like even two years ago, you know, social media, the space was different. And then two years before that, it was even different. So it's changing really quickly. But back then I was sort of like, you know, I, I had built my career. I was already doing the glam bot in 2017. I was already had Katy Perry and pink and cover girl on my reel by that time. I, I was, I was, I, I had bought a house. I was sustaining my life without social media. So I was kind of like, I'm pretty sure I'll work if I ignore this. You know what I mean? Like my career is like established. I'm pretty sure if I'm just like, okay, screw all this stuff. I'm not going to do any of it. I'm just going to like work however I've always worked, you know, maintain my relationships you know, in real life and, and keep pushing forward how I've been pushing forward. I felt confident in that. But then I also was like, or I can embrace it. And like, because the idea that we're going at some point, society is going to step away from like digital social interactions. I was like, there's no version of society where we're toning this down. We're only going more on social, more on digital, more with like these electronic communications and interactions and relationships. So I was like, if that's how I see the future and not like next year in in like two years, but like five years, 10 years, we're all going in that direction. It would be prudent of me to work on this now, because if I do nothing for five years in five years, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm too late or I'm behind the curve. So like, I know I also felt confident the world was going in that direction. And I was like, well, I'm going to spend time doing it now, you know? And so in 2017, I started looking at it like a facet of my business rather than a, a, a fun thing that I did with my friends. It feels so natural what you're doing. Like there's so many people I've muted because they're so negative. <laughs> but I always know when I click on your story, it's going to be something that I go, oh, that's cool. Do you know what I mean? There's a bit of, I mean, you, you know what the UK is like. The weather's, man, you brought the sunshine. Yeah, you, yeah. But when you left, it literally left. That's what I heard. <laughs> I go on Instagram and I want to have a bit of light and a bit of lightheartedness and like, it's just good to see because so many people are negative. I think the other thing too is that curated doesn't mean like inauthentic either. You know what I mean? And so like, I'm very aware of like what I'm posting and what I'm doing. It, But it also is like, it's that's more on the like the feed side. My story side, I don't really, I'll just post the dumbest stuff. Like the... The prerequisite for anything on my story is that like, if it makes me laugh, then I'll do it. Like, I don't care how dumb it is. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'll just be doing dumb stuff and I'll put it out and I'm like, I don't care. It's fun and funny and stupid to me. So that works. But like for the feed, I'm much more curated in in that sense. But I, I, I do think that like, like, I guess when I say curated too, it's like, I've thought about my quote unquote brand and how I want to represent myself and and, yeah. and and have it be in accordance of like who I am too. So it's not like, I'm imagining this fictitious person that I think is going to do well on social. So I was like, (laughs) let me be that person. 
I'm like, well, what are yeah. my qualities that I like that I that I think are good about myself that I like to share? Let's accentuate those. You know what I mean? So like, let's focus on that kind of stuff. And it and it while curated, it, it also is organic and sort of natural. So I, I those are those are parameters that I try to uh, constrain myself within when I'm thinking about how I'm presenting myself on social. And your mom is an absolute legend as well. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, she is the best. Yeah, she is fantastic. She does better on my socials than I do. Like whenever I post her, people are like, oh, I want to see more of your mom or, or show more of your mom. Or like, when are you going to hang out with your mom again? I'm like, well, you know, just got to wait. We've had people tell us that we should have like our own like YouTube or show or travel show or something. And I would, I would love it. I think that would be a fun slash funny concept to just have like a mom and oh, be awesome. her kid like going around traveling or doing stuff together it would be awesome. You mentioned that you're into the comedy genre. What type of comedy do you like? I mean, there's moments for everything, to be honest. There's moments for like super broad slapstick comedy where like the whole idea is that you want to tune out whatever's going on in your life. And look at people like step on rakes and smack their balls with, you know, with, with random things, right? Like there's time for that, right? Um, and then there's also time for just like insightful, honest, you know, comedies that that tell these really uh, charismatic, humanistic stories that are also hilarious. And so the, you know, the in what I'm writing is really trying to find the balance in between that. I, I think that like... I don't necessarily like gravitate towards the super broad slapsticky stuff, even though mm-hmm. I can enjoy it from time to time. But that doesn't that doesn't seem like the type of film I would direct or create, you know. So I'm definitely yeah. leaning towards a more of a humanistic um, like story that would in theory, like the goal is like the story stands on its own without any of the humor. But it's also funny as heck. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And so that's kind of the the approach for us. When you say that, the sort of films I'm thinking are like Little Miss Sunshine, anything by the Duplass brothers, yep. who are just amazing. Like, I love those guys. Yep. Um, Safety Not Guaranteed was one of my favorite movies oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in 2012. I really enjoyed that film, you know? So it's like, I really liked Safety Not Guaranteed. You know, Jurassic World was tons of fun and I didn't really like Book of Henry. So if you look at that as a track record, you're like, that's not bad. You have one nail, you have one enjoy, and then one miss. You know, you know, that's like not, not, there's definitely worse track records out there, you know? And who's going to turn down Jurassic World? But I feel like, in a way, I would have preferred to have seen 10 more safety not guaranteed type movies, you know, like these small indie good stories that have got great characters in them. I love that movie. That's like, that's probably in my top 10, that film, because it was so different. Yeah, like tone was super cool in that. It was super quirky and fun. And I think it was, you know, like you're right. Like, how do you say no to, you know, the offer on Jurassic World? But it's just like, it's such a different beast, like doing this huge $150 million, you know, VFX heavy blockbuster mm. tentpole film compared to like a little independent it's, uh, it, you know, like while the opportunity is great and some people can capitalize on it, it's just a tricky thing to navigate. And I think it's it's a lot harder than we think, you know, to like find your career after you have two very polar opposite films in your in your resume. You know, like where do you go after that? Like it's, it's tough. And it's the same with Star Wars and Disney and, you know, 
and it, it still blows my mind that it doesn't feel like Disney had a plan for the whole new trilogy. It's like, oh, we'll just let these different directors have a go. I mean, I don't think any director should get backlash and people threatening them and all that. But you know what fanboys can be like? Had Disney just had a bit more thought behind, like, what maybe we should have an actual plan instead of just relying on in like indie directors. I mean, Ryan Johnson's not really an indie director. He made, you know, uh, what did he make? Looper, uh, The Brothers Bloom. He made some, like big-ish movies but nothing like where you go oh you like if you had said to me right name three directors who you think disney are going to pick for star wars he wouldn't have been one of them yeah but jj would definitely be one of them 100 percent. oh yeah like i think jj gets it well my so my question for you is do you are you is your are you filing this complaint because you have <laughs> Uh, an issue with the quality and product uh, that they're creating or because it's just in response of the fanboys uh, and fangirls having backlash? I think it was. it's more... I mean, I, I didn't like the second movie and I felt like undid everything that JJ set up because in The Force Awakens, it was like, you know, they made this big deal that it's going to be practical and it's going to feel like the original and it's not going to be like the prequels because we know how many fanboys didn't like the prequels. Well, not fanboys, everybody. They were not good. (laughs) And they made this big thing like, it's going to be practical effects and all this. And and when I watched, it's like, he got it. It actually did feel like a Star Wars movie and it all got set up nicely. And then... Ryan Johnson came along and was like, right, okay, everything that's being set up, I'm literally just going to throw out. And that's where I thought Disney at some point should have been like, well, here's the thread of how this is all going to go. And there's certain things that we need to keep. It seemed to me just a crazy move of, of Disney to do. And I think it was JJ that was overseeing them. Like they were giving him, they gave Ryan like uh, an out, like an outline of the force awakens or something like that. Cause I think he started writing it before it was out or something. And they, and they first just let him go like, all right, go do whatever. And then they sort of formed it after that. So I do think that there was some freedom, but uh, you know, I don't think that, I don't know. It's hard. It's just hard to say how much they were directing things behind the scenes. You never yeah. know. Did you? Did, so, have you? I presume you've seen the Force Awakens and the and the Last Jedi. Yeah. What was your sort of take on it? I loved both of them, but I think in the same way that I was gonna love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I love the Star Wars property and IP, and I didn't care. I was like, I want to just hang out in Star Wars Land, you know, for three hours or whatever, and like go experience it. I. I'm, I'm trying to think like I really like The Force Awakens and I, and I liked The Last Jedi. I don't remember ever thinking it wasn't good. I think Solo was like not so great, um, but that had its I own seen issues. You know, it's like it was uh, Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, no, oh, yeah, that's is. right. They got they got well, they got fired. They got fired. And then Ron, Ron Howard came in and finished yeah, directing. Right. And so, you know, that and, and supposedly he reshot a ton of stuff. So, you know, it did feel a little disjointed, uh, a little, uh, you know, not super cohesive. And um, yeah, it just wasn't it was like kind of fun, but it wasn't great. You know what I mean? But I would say The Last Jedi was a lot better than that. I enjoyed it. I don't know. The documentary on the uh, on the Blu-ray was really good. And I don't know, my, my sort of feeling with, with Star Wars is kind of uh, at a point now where uh, it's like, 
it feels like they're trying to make Christmas every day. And if it was Christmas was every day, you'd kind of be like, Ugh. it wouldn't be the same as Christmas just being like once a year. I feel like it's getting a little bit saturated. Yeah, I don't know. I, I view it differently. I, I could consume I could consume a Star Wars film every year re- reliably. And I would be excited to go. Though I will say they do have to be good. Because if you have a couple that aren't good, I'm then I'm just out. Then I'm like, oh, I don't care. You know what I mean? Were you nervous before you first started doing this with like the caliber of people who you'd be working with? You know, like ha- having that experience working with a, a variety of different A-listers, you kind of get used to it in, in the sense of like, you know, we're, we're peers on set and my intention is to like bring your vision or do what you want to life. And we're partners in this thing. I need you to sort of do whatever you need to do. You need me to shoot it properly. And so when you work with someone on that level, you're like, oh, you're literally just like the same as my very first client or my friend Mm. we went and shot this thing with. You're a person with ideas and thoughts on how to do it. Granted, this time you're a fantastic performer and have a huge career of like XYZ behind you. But like on set that day, you're like, you're a person that like I'm collaborating with uh, to make a thing, right? And so once you get used to that, you know, it's the exact same thing, just on a smaller scale where we're like, oh, we're just here for three minutes together, but we're together going to make a thing. They don't want to look like idiots on the red carpet. You know what I mean? They know I'm the director. They're going to listen to me. And so it's like we work together on figuring out what it is. So like I was, I was more nervous about making sure what I was doing satisfied the higher ups, you know, like they were happy with what I was doing. I wasn't really nervous about like talking or inter- interacting with certain celebrities because I, I had that experience and I'm like, you're, you know, it's that, that just, I don't know. It just, that was a thing that didn't make me nervous. Had I never interacted or directed an A-lister, I would probably be terrified. You know what I mean? But thankfully, and I think that's part of the reason why I got hired was they were like, that's just not a factor with him. He's worked with some bigger names. So it's like, that's a thing we don't have to worry about. I was just more worried that I was going to do a good enough job. They liked what I was doing you know, and I could set myself apart from the other director that they were no longer bringing back, you know, because like, who knows, maybe I would do one and then they're like, oh, let's try another guy or let's go back to this guy, you know. So but thankfully, it's been working out well. And also, like, it was my first time really working with the technology, you know, and so I was just nervous that like what I was doing was going to be effective and efficient. You know what I mean? It was a bit of an unknown at the top, you know, the very first one. Um so, you know, I relied a lot on the crew because it was the crew was the same. They had done they had done it before the, the year prior. And so, yeah, nervous about that, but not so much talking to talent. And now I'm just like, it's another day at the office. So I, I was getting I was probably still getting a little nervous just because like it's just a crazy thing. Like you more nervous. that like you can't leave the red carpet. It's like, you got to go to the bathroom. Like you just have to suck it up and you got to hold it. So it's like more nervous that like the day just operates smoothly. You know, it's like, I'm very cautious about like, I'm not eating anything that's going to like make, give me a tummy ache or like be risky food. Like I'm conscious of that. Cause it's like, there's no, there's no bathroom breaks and you're out there for like four hours. Right. And so, and you have to make sure you have like water and like snacks and like, just like all these weird things that like you need to just be on top of because you have to be sharp, attentive, like, and you can't just like take a second, you can't go to the bathroom. So like more nervous about those logistics than like the quality of the work or having some interesting interaction with a 
with a celebrity. You're not going to be wanting to eat like a dodgy meal before, no, uh, before you do that. Not. And then you're like, I think I'm going to need to, yeah, I'm going to need to go soon. <laughs> yeah. How long we got? Two hours left. Great. Yeah. You have to be mindful of those things. Do you actually edit them as well? Do you piece them together like with the graphics and all that? Or is that, is that like another team? Oh, so that's that? a whole other team. I mean, we have a truck. We have a production truck with a whole entire team. Okay. That, that's why it's expensive. So it's like we have a fiber yeah. line from the booth that runs into the truck, that goes to the Phantom Tech, that goes into an ingester, that goes on a network, that goes to an editor, that goes to a VFX person, that goes to a social person that uploads it. Like there's a there's a ton of people on the pipeline to get these out because they come out almost instantly. So like I'm oh yeah, I'm on the carpet 20 minutes after my first glam bot, they're up on on the internet. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. So how many would you do per like per event roughly? We would do I mean anywhere from like 80 to 100 shots and I would say yeah. sometimes we get two shots, sometimes there's false takes. So yeah. we're shooting anywhere from like, you know, 60, maybe 60 people or so. Wow. That Quite is a few. A so no wonder when you're finished, you literally go and stir at a white. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, lately I've been making it a, a thing cause I have my tux on. And so I, I don't go to the show. I like, I don't go to the after parties and the red carpet ends at like five or six usually. So I'll come home and I'll usually like try to find someone and be like, Hey, let's go to a nice dinner. Let's ha- let's celebrate. Cause I'm like, I'm in a tux and like, I just did this sweet job. So I've been going to nice dinners and tuxes <laughs> after all the events, which is awesome. So that's my way of kind of celebrating having some nice wine and a, and a fancy meal. How was your trip over to, to London? Was that on a holiday or was that like a, on a job? So a friend of mine, Alison Falk, who is a choreographer, uh, she choreographed like both Magic Mike movies with a, a couple other people and the Magic Mike live uh, stage shows. She's worked for like Madonna, like a huge uh, career as a director. I mean, sorry, as a choreographer. And she's trying to direct. So she shadowed me on a bunch of different jobs. And she wrote this little short film. And she basically wanted me to shoot it, to, to DP it for her. So it, it, was, uh, it wasn't a job in the sense that I, I didn't charge her or she didn't pay me a rate. But, you know, she flew me out there. And, you know, me, we've been, she's one of my closest girlfriends. So it's like, we're having a vacation, you know, in London together, like having fun going and doing stuff, but also shooting this thing. So it was really cool. It was, uh, it was fun for me to take uh, the DP hat and wear it because it's so much like less stressful. It's like every time you show up on set, you're like, let me just think about the ways I can make this shot look its prettiest. And I'm like not worrying about the logistics about props and like the actors <laughs> and like all this other stuff that's normally driving me crazy on yeah. set. I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice. Like I, I got my little crew and my lights and my camera and that's all I got to worry about. So it was enjoyable for me in that sense. Um, and it was, I was happy to help her bring her vision to life, you know? And how was your experience? Was that the first time you've been to, to London or have you been here? Uh, no, I've been to London a few times before, two or three times actually. I, I love it out there and it was it was great. It was actually the time that I that I got to spend the most time in the city. Like I've been there for work. I've only been there for work. I haven't traveled there on my own and this was a bit half and half we had really short light production days Mm -hmm. so we could go for coffee in the morning we'd work for like four or five hours and then we'd have the nighttime free so i really got to explore the city a lot more this time and 
and I and I loved it even more. It's it's great out there. I mean, I'm about four hours away. I'm in Liverpool, and uh, which is okay. which is a great city. If you ever come over to the uh, the UK on a longer trip, highly recommend checking out Manchester and Liverpool because it's like yeah, the culture. It's so different to London. Well, I have been so when I was there before, I was working with Pink, and she was on tour, so I was touring with her. And so we were in London, then we went up to Manchester, Nottingham, Birmingham. Uh, I think we went somewhere else. But so I did get to go around to a few other cities, which was awesome. So what is the next thing for you, like the next sort of project, apart from the the film that you're working on? Well, I just got back from Pebble Beach. So it's like up north in California and I was shooting for Mercedes. Uh, I do a lot of work for them, which is awesome. Did you get a, did you get a free car? I did not get a free car, <laughs> though. I already I have a, a old vintage Mercedes truck. I have an old G-Wagon. Um, and that sort of opened the doors with them. And then I just started shooting stuff and making content for them, which is super cool. Uh, so, you know, it's really like I'm just back to writing. There's nothing. There's like... There's always, you know, like, oh, like, are these days free? Are these days free? But I'm like, until you like really book me, I'm like, my schedule's open. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a bunch of holds, but like nothing is like solid, solid. The next thing on the books uh, for sure is the um, the Glambot, but I'm sure something is going to materialize by then. And if it doesn't, I'm just writing every day and trying to get that, trying to get that going. And for anyone who's looking to get into this game, what would you tell them? I think now it's like, it's so much just about going out and shooting. I, I was always of the mindset of like, the more you make, the better you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So like, go make something and like, don't worry about it being good or not. Just have, I mean, have it be bad, but like make a thing and then go make another thing and then go make another thing. And as you keep making things, they're going to get better. You're going to figure stuff out. And like, cause that process, if you really want to be a filmmaker, that process never ends. I think people become... I think the thing that stops a good portion of people is that they become too precious with what they're doing. They're like, okay, this is the film that I want to do. And that's why I push back on like, what's your dream film? Like, yeah. I don't have one. I have my next film. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. like, because I don't want to become so precious to this one singular idea that may or may not happen or the idea that I'm like trying to execute it so, so much that it just doesn't happen, you know? So people get too precious with their ideas and they hold on too much. I'm like, make it, finish it, move on, make it, finish it, move on. And don't worry about being perfect or even literally or even good. Just worry about the next thing that you do being a little bit better than the last thing. Because once you do a hundred things, you know, that's a hundred little improvements you've made. And that hundred thing is going to be good. And I don't mean like full on productions. I mean, go shoot a dumb little skit with you and your friends or go shoot something by yourself. I shot a lot of little dumb videos uh, with me by myself, I would just go out, I would set the thing up on a tripod and I would go act in front of it and like do something. And then I would like shoot all my little shots and I'd go home and edit it. And it was like me spending a Saturday afternoon making a music video by myself. So I, that's what I suggest is like, go out, go out and actually get your hands on the camera and, and make something. It just kind of makes sense. You know, it's like, if you want to be good at something, just go and do it. Don't read about how to do it. Don't watch a YouTube tutorial on how to focus. Just learn, like, go make something. If you're wrong, if you focus wrong, then you've learned the next time when you change this little thing, it might be totally. right. Totally. You know? And I, I think it's so important to, like, have fun doing what you're doing. And so if you get bogged down by all the technicalities and all the do's and don'ts and, like, 
you know, when you're first starting, it's like you don't understand what it means when you cross the axis. You know what I mean? But it's like it, it doesn't matter. So it's like if you're on set trying to figure something out and you're so worried about that, you're like not paying attention to like what the actors are doing or this or that. It's like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like you'll figure it out. And as you do it more, it like I'll realize we're crossing the axis without even being aware of it. People are like, oh, let's put the camera here. I'm like, no, I cross the axis. And I might think about it. I'm like, oh yeah, it's because this guy's here, that guy's there, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that just comes with the experience. So it's like, go out and make stuff and don't worry, have fun. Because if you're not having fun, then you're in for a long, <laughs> a long, unsuccessful ride. You know what I mean? You got to go have fun making what you love making. Um, it's been great talking to you. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much to Cole for taking his time out and joining me on that podcast. If you want to find out more information about Cole, you can go on the Cine Chill website where his page will have all the links and all the information where you can go and follow him and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Thanks again to Cole and we will catch you on the next show. Thanks very much.